Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. All right, welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Rick Morton uh, coming to you today live from Birmingham, Alabama. Joining me from across the country, but right here face-to-face with me as well is my friend Phil Dark. Phil, how are you? Doing great. Doing great. Very excited to be talking today about a, just a great interview and some really important things. So how are you doing? Man, I'm good. I'm good. We're, uh, we're, we're feeling like we live in Seattle these days uh, in the midst of seven inches of rain they're telling us we're going to get in the next uh, three days. So we're just uh, trying, you know, all building boats and gathering animals right now. Fantastic. That sounds, that sounds like a blast. <laughs> so, you know, today I know that uh, we, we, uh, we have a, a woman who's doing some amazing work. Um, we're going to be talking about this uh, book. It's called Replanted, uh, which for some of you out there, that's giving away who it is. The book that's coming out on March 25th, as we're going to talk a little bit about in the, in the interview, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed, uh, you know, like this is one of those interviews that I didn't really know Jen very well beforehand, and so it was a lot of fun for me to get to know her better, and for you guys to kind of get to know her right at the same time, right alongside me. So uh, again, it's Jen Hook. She's with Replanted Ministry. Um, also, the book is called Replanted, and for those of you who are fans of Refresh Conference, uh, she has, uh, helped with the Schneidlers to get, uh, you know, she basically took it on from what they've been doing out in Sh- Seattle and she started in Chicago a few years ago. So now, uh, she's been able to, to put that on the last few years. And so it's great to be able to offer it, as she said, to people who might not be able to go from Florida all the way over to Seattle could all you know have a place to go in in chicago and hopefully those are going to pop up other places too so rick have you ever been to a refresh conference man i haven't uh have had that invitation to go but just haven't made it out there and so maybe as it uh, spreads back east uh you know lord willing we'll have the opportunity to do that but love what they're doing and uh and and the the way that uh that that ministers to you know to so many folks and just encouraging and refreshing and 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 pouring into the lives of people that are doing so much for the kingdom yeah something they keep inviting me to even though i'm not a foster adopted parent and i'm hoping to make it to one of these because i I know it'll not only encourage me uh in my parenting but it will also be something that uh, i can learn a lot for from in this work that we're doing here with the podcast as well as other work that i'm doing all around the world so without more from rick and me we're going to come back uh to you after this interview but uh, we're just going to send you to this conversation i was able to have with jen hook here you go well jen it is so great to finally get you on the think orphan podcast yeah thanks for having me it's great to be here so Jen, today we're going to be uh, chatting a little bit about uh, your new book that's going to be coming out pretty soon. I know that's really exciting for you and, and your co-authors, and so we'll get to talk a little bit about that. But uh, before we get into that, I know a lot of our audience is probably, you know, hasn't been uh, uh, privileged to be able to meet you and get to know you a little bit. So I'd just like you to, to share your story a little bit with our audience and how you became an advocate for orphan and vulnerable children. Yeah, so uh, I actually grew up on a dairy farm in Canada, Mm. and I um, pursued my undergraduate degree and decided that I wanted to go get my master's degree in clinical psychology. Uh, I was feeling a strong desire that I wanted to work with kids and and do counseling, and so I 
packed up and headed off to Wheaton College near Chicago for my master's degree. And it was during that time um, that I just started to really feel compelled to want to work with kids in some capacity, but I wasn't quite sure what that would look like. Uh, And so after I graduated, uh, I received a job offer to work with kids in the foster care system in Illinois. And as soon as I started that job, I just knew that that was exactly where God wanted me to be. And so I started doing trauma counseling with kiddos uh, as young as three up to 18, and then also counseling for birth parents that were trying to um, experience healing and reconciliation with their family and with their kiddos. And so, yeah, I started uh, working in the foster care system, and that just opened my eyes and honestly broke my heart. Uh, It was during that time that I just really saw so many of my families just really under-supported and just feeling really tired, really alone, and really isolated in their journeys. And I just kept thinking, where is the church in this? The church needs to be doing more. You know, so many times churches are all about, you know, the message of the cause of the fatherless is near and dear to the heart of God, but we don't always see as many churches showing up after that message. And so... It was one summer, I had just, I had been working in the foster care system for maybe six months or so, and I was attending a farewell party for a friend of mine that was heading to California, and one of our uh, pastors was at this farewell party, and I got introduced to him and came to realize that he was an adult adoptee, and he asked a simple question, you know, what do you see as the church's role in supporting families? And I just felt like there was a lot of my heart around that and wanting the church to do more. And so we started brainstorming and talking together. And he said, hey, I, I think we should do something. And so he went to our senior pastoral staff um, at my church, at Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, we want to do something. Let's go for it. And so... Um, I just started dreaming into the ministry and there were some families that were in our church that also had a really, um, really wanted to get involved. And so we started meeting together and just talking about what would it look like for us to practically support families. You know, I sat with kids in foster care who felt so alone in their journeys as well. I remember working with a little boy who was about 10 years old, who was almost embarrassed and ashamed that he was in foster care. And he didn't want his foster parents to pick him up from school because he was afraid people were going to ask questions. And so, you know, there was so much that I was just seeing where it was our kids and our parents were just feeling really alone, uh, misunderstood. There's so many feelings in the journey, you know, for this little boy, he, he really wanted to go home to his mom. Uh, so that reunification process was just, there was so much longing in that time. He, you know, obviously fell in love with his foster family as well. And there's just so many feelings and so much to navigate in that journey. And so I just felt like we really need to be the hands and feet of Christ to our families. And we really need to show up in tangible ways um, and support them you know, especially to help families thrive, right? This journey can be really long and hard, right? Kids who are in foster care, almost, you know, they wouldn't be in foster care if they hadn't experienced some sort of trauma, you know? And so trauma impacts our kiddos emotionally, behaviorally, in a variety of different ways. And that journey of healing can be a long process. And so we need to wrap around our families. We need to wrap around our parents in this process and show them just an abundance of grace and love from the church. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You're, you're talking about uh, 
something that is so, we, we talk about it a lot on this show and it's so important for us to fully understand the wraparound care, the idea of really being able to come around adoptive foster families, come around people that are in this work. And, you know, and I think that goes for anyone working in the context of orphan and vulnerable children, because there's so much, you know, vicarious trauma. There's so many other issues that come up. Um, as we've learned about on the show, we learned about if you're, if you've been doing this work at all over the last, you know, several years, these, these different concepts are becoming so much clearer because I think we're, we're really opening to it, right? It's not something that we're just having off to the side, but this is something that's becoming core to what we're doing as the church because we're seeing the gospel call to it. Um, and yeah. I know that you have done, you know, with the replanted ministry that you have and with, you know, you've taken the, the refresh conference and, and had it actually at church of resurrection a couple of years ago. I was, in fact, I was like three days away from being there for it. I was at my friend's house. He's like, Hey, we have the the orphan care conference coming up at our house. I'm like, really? What, how did I not hear about that? You know, he says, it's refreshed. <laughs> yeah. refresh. I go, oh, yeah, that's right. Refresh. Yeah, that's right. And so yeah. I didn't realize it was at church of the res, as they call it there in Wheaton. See, I'm, yeah. I'm hip. I can, I can hang with you there. I know, you're so, um, <laughs> so anyway, but can you just share a little bit about replanted? How I, I know today I really want to get into the book, which is also called replanted, but I know that's a yeah. ministry that you've been able to, to start and it goes to everything we've been talking about, but what does that look like and how, how does that, how is that helping people in the area? And, and then talk a little bit about refresh as well and how that got started there in, in Chicago. I know, yeah, absolutely. From Seattle, obviously, but you know, I don't want to, you know, we already had Andrew yeah. Schneidler on here. So just not, I want to clarify it is part of the same movement. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So replanted, we just started because we were like, Hey, but the church needs to be involved in this process from day one with our families, whether people are considering foster care adoption, you know, are actively involved, um, you know, for people who want to know how to support families in ways that is helpful, not harmful. We just really felt like we wanted to empower and mobilize the local church, uh, to just really be equipped to love and support our families. Well, you know, I've heard so many heartbreaking stories from families who would come to church on Sunday and because of their kids' trauma, you know, our kiddos have a hard time sometimes and it's, they're not bad kids. They're not kids that are misbehaving, you know, but when we have cultures, you know, church culture, sorry, church cultures that don't understand the impact of trauma on our kids, we sometimes can be unintentionally judgmental and critical. And so I've seen, you know, I've sat with a lot of parents who just, you know, the, the Sunday school program coordinator would say to them like, Hey, we just can't meet the needs of your kid in our, in our program. And so you either need to be here or that they can't participate. Right. And to me, I'm just like, this should never be the message of the church to our families ever. You know, our message should always be come as you are, you are loved as you are, and we're going to empower and we're going to get equipped and we're going to meet the needs of your family because we love and care for you so much. And so that was really our heart was to say, hey, we know your kids have been through a lot and their histories, um, you know, have really shaped who they are, but that does not define their identities. And we want to come alongside you, your kids, you as parents, show you that you're loved, show you an abundance of grace that we receive from God uh, and be in the trenches with you. And so that was really what we wanted to do with Replanted. We also wanted to say like, hey, you know, there's so many things that divide the church nowadays, but we know the heart of 
God towards the fatherless is so important and that can unite the church. And so we want it to be a unified body of Christ as we do this work together. And so for us, you know, we're really taking the motto of it's not just about one church, it's about the church, capital Mm -hmm. C. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we really wanted to do is we know support is so valuable and we wanted to take our families from just surviving and move them to thriving. Uh, And so there's three key areas of support that we look at. Uh, One is informational support. Two is tangible and three is the emotional, spiritual support. And so those are kind of the three different areas. Informational just, you know, is about educating under, you know, so that's trauma trainings, things like that, understanding how trauma impacts our kids, attachment, sensory processing, you know, um, it just unpacks a lot of the educational pieces that can really help us meet the needs of kids well. Mm-hmm. Tangible is just looking at what are the tangible resources that family needs? You know, a lot of times we think about like adoption, we're like, yes, adoption, we know can come, you know, there's a, a, a large financial responsibility with adoption, but a lot of times we don't think about all the other financial <laughs> parts of it as well and foster care, right? So um, getting your home ready, uh, post-placement um, services for kids. So a lot of our kids end up needing medical support or, you know, counseling, speech therapy, occupational therapy. You know, I, I know families that have taken out second mortgages on their homes just to be able to pay for all these bills, right? And sometimes that can blindside our families when they don't realize, you know, some of those expenses. So we talk a lot about tangible support and how can we meet those needs. And then the big one that we focus on is the emotional, spiritual support. So bringing our kids and our parents together in community where they can come as they are and be understood and just be with others who really get it and can empathize with their journeys. Um, you know, when you can sit in a room with people and say, me too, I know that feeling. I struggled with this myself. You know, our kids are going through something similar. That's a really powerful opportunity to connect and know you're not alone. There's other people that understand. So that's kind of the context. And so with that, we got partnered with, so we were launching groups, small groups for our families to connect with each other. And we got connected with Andrew and Michelle Snyder out at Refresh Seattle. And Michelle and I, uh, we had this such a great conversation, but she's one of those people you're like, oh, they're like kindred spirits, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, they were doing this conference and they, it's, it's so cool. If you guys haven't heard of Refresh, you need to go. It's, it's really, I don't even, you know, like to use the word conference because I really feel like it's more of a retreat. So the mm-hmm. goal is just to like, love parents so much, refresh them, inspire them, equip them, pamper, you know, we do fun, like no way gift giveaways, pampering, you know, like um, community things. Um, And then obviously we do some of the like breakouts and stuff like that as well around equipping, but it's really meant to just like, I don't know, kind of blow the socks off parents, right? Where it's like, we want to show parents like we see you, we know what you're going through and we are here and we are going to encourage you and we're going to refresh you. And so they had started this conference in Seattle so cool. And Michelle was feeling like, Hey, a lot of our families come to this. And then the other 363 days of the year, they're back in isolation. And so we talked, Hey, what would it look like to build support in the actual communities? You know, so what would it look like for us to help other communities build groups and support, and then also bring refresh to other areas of the country so that, you know, families don't have to fly from Florida to Seattle to get this experience. Right. And so that's how we brought refresh to Chicago. We're heading into our fourth uh, refresh Chicago experience this October on October 25th and 26th of 2019 in Naperville, Illinois. And if anyone's interested in learning more about it, registration will open in April, but you can go to refreshchicago.net 
that's a tricky one. Most people <laughs> think dot com or we'll have it on the show notes so that if they forget, yeah. we'll have it on. You just yes. click it on the show notes, so you're good to go. Oh, piece of cake. There you go. So uh, it's a really cool experience. We have Eugene Toe coming this year, mm. Darren Jones from the TBRI team. It's going to be really cool. That's so. really cool. So, yeah. well, that's fantastic. You know, we got, there's so much more. And the good, good news, folks, and this is what we're going to spend the most of the rest of the, the interview on, except for the last couple of questions that all you faithful followers know it's coming. But, uh, <laughs> you know, this book that you are um, releasing on March 25th. But folks, you know, fortunately for you, you can go on right now as you're listening to this, no matter when you're listening to it, and you can pre-order if it's before March 25th, 2019. Um, and you can uh, pre-order it uh, on, is it on Kindle and on regular paperback? Or you have audio version where you're reading it or do you not have that yet? Uh, we don't have that yet, but you can definitely get the paperback okay. and there'll be more information at replantedministry.org forward slash book as well. So cool. All the updates will come there. So it's called Replanted, Faith-Based Support for Adoptive and Foster Families. So it's a lot of what you're already talking about, what you've been sharing with us that goes into this book. Um, but one of the things that I love that you started the book with, you know, is either in the introduction or the preface, I can't remember, but just with an honest, wide open picture of adoption and foster care, you know, as well as what the Bible says about Christians call to care for orphan and vulnerable children, you know, that I talk about a lot that, you know, if you've listened to the show at all, you know, that that's something that is, you know, we talk about a lot on this show, but you said something that, that I want you to dive into a little bit more for audiences with, you know, just to, to kind of flesh it out a little bit more of what it really looks like. But you said, in addition to encouraging us to think about where God is calling us to get involved, I also encourage entering into the OVC journey with a strong dose of humility and awareness of our limitations and appropriate boundaries. So can you dive a little bit more into that? Yeah, absolutely. So what we're kind of talking about there, this book is really meant to be you know, hopefully kind of a complete package of, hey, this is what the journey looks like. These are the joys and the challenges. Um, this is what trauma and attachment looks like for our kiddos and the struggles they might experience. You know, this is the type of support that we recommend and here's how to find it. So we really unpack in very practical ways what, what would be helpful for families. And then we also unpack how do people support families that are considering adoption or foster care who are, you know, in, in the trenches of the journey? And so we really wanted to write a book that would put everybody on the same page together. So whether you're a parent, um, in, you know, considering adoption or foster care, uh, currently involved in the process or a support system, um, and so what we're really talking about there is having this dose of humility, right? And so that just really means, um, you know, kind of understanding what your influence is and motivation is for what, you know, your role might be in this journey. So whether you're considering, you know, whether you want to parent a child that's been impacted by foster care or you want to support a family to understand that, hey, we don't always have all the answers, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's important to surround ourselves with community. It's important to, um, to come as you are and recognize that, um, you know, we're really giving ourselves and giving our family to a child. You know, I, I love Jason Johnson has a, that quote about, it's not about getting a, t a child for your family, but giving your family for a child. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important because sometimes I think we have different kind of motivations and with that come expectations. And when the expectations don't match reality, we can just be totally blindsided, devastated, you know, feel like we're in over our heads. So I think 
think really coming to the table with this humility of, hey, you know, it's important to recognize there are some really difficult parts of the journey and to not honor that um, is, is really going to do a disservice to you and the kiddos uh, that you're caring for as well. And with that, it's important to recognize your limitations as a support system and as a parent, right? So I think all of us can probably empathize with the sense of urgency we feel for how many kiddos are out there that are, you know, needing families. Um, our foster care systems are overwhelmed with kiddos that have experienced abuse and neglect. You know, we've got many kiddos in orphanages and, you know, institutions that, um, you know, need families. And we can feel this sense of urgency, like, if not me, then who, right? Mm -hmm. But if we don't recognize our limitations and we keep saying yes, and we take on more than we're able to, you know, responsibly um, handle, we are really going to set up ourselves, our marriages, our kids for failure, you know, and I really firmly believe God doesn't build up families to tear them apart. And so that can be such a hard thing to do for a parent who's seeing like, Hey, I, you know, there's kids, there's so many kids out there. You get another phone call from the foster agency and to make a decision to say like, okay, we're, we're, we're at, we're at our bandwidth, you know, and to say, no, that can be so hard, but it's so important to recognize the limitations because we really hurt kids when we, we don't, um, you know, Andrew Snyder, you've had him on the podcast, but he shares this analogy that I thought was so great. But he said, you know, the adoption and foster care journey is really like being in a canoe and, you know, going down a river and seeing a child struggling in the water, you know. And so you see a child struggling in the water and you bring them into the canoe, right? But if if you're not too careful, you, you might bring in more than you can handle and then you're at risk of your, your canoe capsizing, right? And so it's a really, you know, we need to do a really honest examination of, hey, what... What are the needs of my kids too? Like, am I bringing in kids that have really high special needs? You know, we know trauma impacts kids in significant ways. So these are not just kiddos that you're just bringing in your home. Like they have a lot of emotional and behavioral um, needs as well. And so it's really important to assess that as well. And then also a support system, recognizing our limitations. It is so heartbreaking to me. I hear family after family saying like so many people were so excited that we were starting the adoption and foster care journey. And then three months later, they were nowhere to be found, you know, and that I hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's heartbreaking to me. Right. And so what does it look like as a support system to say, what are my limitations? What's reasonable for me? You know, start small and be consistent because there's nothing more hurtful than you like supporting and loving a family and then vanishing, you know. Um, because you're in over your head as well. And so we really want, we really want to create this culture where it's like, Hey, we love your family. We love your kids. We love this journey, but we need to do this in a way that is really responsible as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And then, you know, the, having appropriate boundaries there, I think is really important. So yeah, that's just a little bit of an unpacking. We kind of go deep into it. And right. part of those chapters, do we ask strategic questions so you can kind of be in process? Because it's not a bad thing to say like, hey, you know, just because Susie can, you know, bring in four kids doesn't mean I can. That's right. okay. That doesn't mean you failed or you suck or you're terrible parents, <laughs> right, you know. Exactly. Um, so, yep. you know, it's, you start to believe these lies that aren't true. But, you know, I, I just watched. 
um, especially in the foster care system, families taken kiddos because they felt like if not me, then who? Mm-hmm. And then two or three weeks later, the kids were getting moved into a different home. And that's more trauma for the kids as well. And that's heartbreaking. Yep. You know, when I watch a six-year-old boy be in six different foster homes within that age, you know, that's, that's crushing to me. And so what can we do to support families, to help them thrive? You know, what can we do as a church? And so this is really what the book is unpacking. Yeah. And it does it so well, you know, and some people will struggle with different, different ones, you know, different things there. Right. So some people will have that dose of humility and they'll even say, well, there's no way I could do it. That's not really humility. That's just more of a, you know, not self-confident, right? But some people are, are more humble, but then they might not have the boundaries. Other people have the boundaries, but they're, you know, not humble. You know, some people say no very easily, but they're just like, I can do anything, but I don't want to do that. And so I'm going to say no to that. But typically the (laughs) super empathetic, you know, don't struggle necessarily with the humility or even awareness of limitations, but they don't have boundaries, right? They're just like, yes to everything, you know? And then they say yes to 25 different things at the same time and realize, wait a sec, I'm going to let someone down. But, you know, by trying not to let people down at the beginning, you let down a bunch of people later because you can't do it all, right? And so I love that part of it because I think that that's just that honesty, that that come into it with just a, you know, I have certain things to offer and there's other things that I don't do really well and that's okay. And that's, that's mm-hmm. perfectly fine. And there's different roles for different people in this space. The key, I think, though, I think as you talked about the call to the adoptive, I even talked about this with, uh, um, on the, a few shows ago, I think just the idea of, you know, we are all called to do something in this space scripturally, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. but it's going to look very different for each person, even people who adopt and foster, it's going to look different for each of them. As you just said, some are going to do 24, people, probably not. Most people aren't going to do that, but hopefully not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, some people are going to have one child that they're going to foster or adopt and that's what they're called to do and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that's, that's just the beauty of it. So that goes into the next, you know, the conversation that, that you had, we had a little bit earlier, you talked about the tangible resources, the informational resources, you've talked about communities and relationship and in your replanted model, you use the, the, the analogy of actually planting, right? And you have the soil that you need. You need sunlight and Mm -hmm. you need water to be able to really cultivate a plant. And in the same way, I think cultivating the families into thriving, you need the soil as you talk about communities and relationship, the sunlight, which is the informational support. And to correct me if I'm wrong and the water, which is the tangible Mm -hmm. support and resources that are actual tangible resources. You know, yeah. I'm going to, folks, I'm going to make you go buy the book to, to, to really get into the nitty gritty of the informational, tangible support and really the, the community's relationship as well. But we're going to talk a little bit right now about those communi- communities and relationships. You, you've touched on it already, but I want you to go yeah. into a little bit, as you said, you know, you need communities and relationships with people who can say me too, which are mm-hmm. characterized by grace, safety, and vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what do those com- relationships and communities look like in real life? You know, do you have an example of that that you can kind of share with our audience? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I think, you know, with our uh, replanted groups, you know, I think that's one of the most powerful aspects of the, the ministry is creating these communities where families can come as they are, not have to justify, explain, rationalize their experiences, but just share vulnerably and have people in the room saying me too. Um, you know, I've, I've had 
families come up to me afterwards and just say like, I didn't even realize I needed this type of support until I received it. And, you know, it's just been so life giving to them. I've watched families build relationships that were complete strangers through groups that have now become best friends for as parents and kids and are going on play dates on a regular basis, you know, and it just like makes my heart leap for joy. I remember one of our groups launched um, a year ago and there was a woman that came to the group and she, she actually had like a decent support around her. Um, but it wasn't people like families who um, were on a similar journey. And she came into the group and just hearing the conversations that were happening around her just moved her to tears. And she realized right away, like this place is a safe place for me. Mm. And I think that's so important. And that's really what we strive for in our group is to say, hey, this group is about grace. So you come and you're going to be loved just as you are. Um, and we are all okay with our brokenness and the experiences that we've had. And we're going to give grace to each other and we're going to receive it because we've received it from God. Mm-hmm. And so, and we're about creating that safety, right? So many times our parents have you know, received judgments and criticisms from others. So, you know, people might look at their parenting style and think, oh, that's too lenient. Or they might see a child misbehaving, right? And thinking like, oh, it's because of the parenting, you know, that's why the child's acting that way, right? And there just isn't, it's shocking to me that we can just be so judgmental and critical of our parents and our kids. And so, you know, it's so great when our parents can come as they are and say like, I am struggling. I feel like a failure as a parent. You know, I am, I feel like I'm at my wit's end with, you know, responding to the trauma in my child and know full well, like, Hey, I love my child so much. I don't have to justify this. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone else can empathize with like, Hey, the struggle is real. This journey can sometimes feel really long. Well, we're helping our kiddos heal from the experiences that they've had, you know, um, so many times too, you know, many of our parents can empathize with you share something vulnerable, something that's happening. Uh, and the first thing you get, the response you get from somebody is unsolicited advice, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, have you tried this? Right? right. And our parents are just like, well, how ready to pull their hair out because it's like, it's not that simple, right. you know? And so, and it's such a myth. It's so invalidating when you share your heart, share the struggle you know, share maybe what your child is experiencing. Um, and then somebody just throws advice at you, right? That can right. feel so invalidating. And, and it, it really does communicate like, well, they have the answers and I don't, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. we really, in our groups, we want to create this space where it's like, hey, you get to share what's going on and we're not giving advice to you unless you ask for it. Cause obviously we know like uh, adoptive and foster parents have, are, you know, typically in a more unique position to give and offer that advice, mm-hmm. but it's really about discipleship. So we want our families to be able to share authentically what their journey experience has been, but we also want to disciple them through it as well. So we don't want to leave our families stuck there. And so it's really about finding that hope and that community, um, you know, I love that story in the Bible about Moses, right? When they were battling the Melachites and as long as his arms were raised, they would be yeah. winning the battle and he got tired, right? And so Aaron and Ur held his arms up for him. And that's really what we're trying to do with the ministry and with our groups is to surround our parents with others who can say, hey, when you're feeling tired and worn down and discouraged, we're going to hold you and we're going to lift you up. Yeah. And so that's really what we want to be about. We want to sit with our parents in their pain, just offer that love and grace 
um, it's so disarming when you sit with other people who get it. Yep. So absolutely. And you know, and I, I found, you know, just in different types of groups, right. Whether it's a men's group, whether it's a Bible study, a life group, whatever it may be that often when you have those places of grace, safety, vulnerability, it also turns into a place that challenges you to be better in the midst of, you know, when it might be easy for you to, you know, feel sorry for yourself, but to realize, no, you know, other people are doing this with fervor and zeal that Mm -hmm. I can have too, right? Like in the midst of this brutally hard time, right? You know, you talk about like desiring God, talk about the joy and suffering, right? Like that is so much easier in community. Right. And so, um, just absolutely love that. And then, oh wait, you're going to say something? Well, I was going to say, I think that's so powerful too. And I think like God never intended us to do this life alone. Like mm-hmm. we're the power of the kingdom is in community and in relationship. Yeah. And, you know, it even says in scripture, like we're not promised an easy life. We're actually promised the opposite. Right. And so we can expect that we're going to experience challenges and difficulties, but it's so important that we have people that can rally around us when we're in those seasons. And just as much for the parents, our groups are about the kids because man, our kids have gone through a lot. You know, they might have experienced different, you know, abuse, neglect things, but there's just their whole identity and story is something for them to process as well. You know, so many of our kids, they might not know their birth parents. They might not know their history. Maybe they, you know, um, were adopted internationally. And so there's this whole grieving, you know, their, you know, their country and culture of origin, you know, kids in foster care are wrestling with the tension of, you know, having their birth parents and their foster parents, um, you know, loving both, desiring both sometimes, and just the tensions of that, the waiting process. And so it's so important our kiddos can come and be in a space where it's like, hey, other kids understand what I'm going through too, you know? I remember I was working with a little girl and I said, what are five things I should know about you, you know? And I think she was like five or six at the time. I can't remember her age now, but... She could have said anything. My favorite color is pink. I love ponies, like whatever it would be. Right. And the first thing she said to me is I'm fostered. Mm. Right. And so this is, our kids are thinking about this. This is on their mind. Right. right? And so they need a space where they can come and be able to share and like be with other kids who can be like me too. I I know what you're going through. I understand feeling like, total disappointment and total joy at the same time, you know? Um, absolutely. So yeah, no, for sure. You know, and and this is something that, you know, the last thing we're going to talk about substantively in the book is the idea that, you know, you actually don't just stop with the adoptive and foster parents, like helping each other, but it's, there's a whole team that goes behind it. I know my brother and his wife just started, uh, fostering about, you know, a year or two ago and, you know, we're part of that, right? Like they brought their, you know, foster kid over the other day and, and we were hell hanging out together and it's, it's a, it's a Mm -hmm. family thing, right? So for me to know how I can best help him in that context is very important as well, right? You know, rather than saying me too, when it's not me too, right? Like I totally, right. you know, and when you say, I mean, what's like the one in whatever you're doing, when somebody's like, yeah, I totally get yeah. it. And you're like, no, you, you actually don't, no. you know, but and that's okay <laughs> yeah. that you don't. But for you to say, yeah, I totally get it is actually destructive often in there. Right. And so yeah. you go into that in the book that, you know, and th- that's the thing folks out there, this isn't just for the adoptive foster families to read. Um, 
this is for those people and communities and churches and organizations or whatever that are supporting foster and adoptive families as well. And so you yeah. talk in the book about how these folks can help without hurting. And you also give yeah. some examples of, of things that you might be doing that might be hurting when you're trying to help, which none of us want to be doing. So can you just give a, you know, an, an example or two of, of those two things? One is helping without hurting, but then the idea of maybe things that you think are helping that you know, pretty much foster adoptive people are talking in the background saying, you know what, this is one of those things that we just don't like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is so important. And I think this is my heartbeat is really here. I'm not a foster and adoptive Mm -hmm. parent. I am a trauma professional that's worked with kids in the foster care system. Right. Uh, And, you know, I lead a ministry. And so there don't, just because you're not a foster adoptive parent doesn't sideline you from supporting families. So it's so important, but it's important that you do it in a way that is helpful and not hurtful. And so I think the first place that support systems need to start is by becoming trauma informed. Mm. I can't speak about that more. Like it's so important. Um, if you're, you know, if you're a grandparent, aunt and uncle, a friend, you're connected to anybody that is fostering or adopting, go to training, <laughs> get, yeah. get equipped yourself so that you can love the, the family well, you can support the kids well, and that you can be in it for the long haul. So I would, I would say the first thing you need to do is become trauma informed. Um, we unpack a variety of different ways that you can support families uh, and help without hurting. I think a few of the things would be the first, the first one is kind of lean in with humility, <laughs> you know, um, you're, you're probably not the expert as a support system, right? And so right. it's important to, to learn from the parents um, and to let them be the teachers and guide to you about how to support their family well. But also, I think, you know, sometimes we can't always empathize, but we can validate our family's feelings. And so if someone is sharing, you know, with you the difficulty of their experience, instead of coming in with advice or trying to have that magic wand fix instead just validate their feelings. Like I would feel that way too, you know, support parents. So many times I think as Christians, like we, we want to get to the place where um, we're helping somebody feel better, right? We don't like seeing people in pain and hurting, right? But we do a total disservice when we try to move past that too fast. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the best things we can do is just sit with our parents and our kids in their pain and just offer them our presence and relationship. I think that's something that's really powerful and something that, our parents are longing for. I do uh, facilitator trainings on a regular basis for our groups and we do some uh, interactive experiences. And that's one of the most powerful things I've heard from people. Like, what did you need in your time of pain and brokenness? And everyone says to me, like, I just needed someone to love me as I was and just support me and validate how I was feeling. And you can do that as a support system, you know, Um, that's pretty easy to do. Right. I think the other thing, when you're thinking about supporting um, families is to support the parents and the kids. Sometimes, you know, you can come in and recognize the family is maybe in a hard season and you want to help. But if we only come in when the season is hard, the kids are going to get the message that like, I'm, I'm too difficult. You know, I'm too hard for my parents to handle. And we don't want to send negative messages to our kids because they're precious and they're awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's about relationship for them too. So we want to be invested in our kiddos lives and our parents' lives in a way that is really consistent. And then we unpack that. What does it look like to learn your limits as a support system? What does it look like to start small and be consistent over time, right? Because if you jump off the deep end and try to do too much, 
and then you've got a backpedal, that can be really hurtful to the kids and parents um, that you're in relationship with. So it's highly recommended to start the opposite way. Do an honest assessment of your time and your resources and what is realistic for you to give consistently and commit to that over time and then reevaluate. Is there more you can give or is this good, you know? Um, And we we unpack a lot of that in the book and what that looks like on a practical level. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much goodness in this book. We just got a little taste of it here on the show today. Um, folks out there, you know, I get a, the privilege and the pleasure to be able to read these books, a lot of these books ahead of time before you're able to. And so I know that, you know, this is well, well worth your time. So I you know if this is at all something that you, you sit there and go, you know, I probably need to read this. You do. So, you know, I mean, think about it, folks. If you if you haven't, you know, fostered or parent, you know, adopted uh, and you're and you're in the lives of somebody else who has and you're but but you are a parent or you are married, you know, just think about it in the context of, you know, remember when when you got married and everyone had advice for you on marriage and a lot of those people weren't married and they gave you advice on how, you know, they were experts in marriage somehow. It's kind of the same idea, right? You didn't like that. And I think people, when they're, when they have the ideas of being foster and adoptive parents and you're coming in with this uneducated help, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, it's, yeah. it's not the best thing you could be doing. So just get educated and then be very humble, as you said, Jen, in, in the way that you can come into it and, you know, offer help in ways that, you know, will actually be helpful, which often mm-hmm. is in this context of, hey, hey, adoptive foster parent, what is helpful? Right. And ask yeah. them and they will let you know. Yeah. So, you know, thanks. Thanks again for, for coming on. We have our last couple questions. I, and thanks for writing this book. And I did it with Mike Barry and your husband, Josh. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. and so it's it's got some fantastic stuff um, uh, in it and that you can really use it and uh, and, you know, to to hopefully help all those around you and, and help yourself if you are a foster and adoptive parent. So the last couple of questions, you know, uh, if you, if you get folks out there, I know if you're like me, you're very excited right now. You're kind of in suspense to see what Jen's going to recommend here. So, you know, what have you read, watched or listened to, uh, recently that has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Yeah, I, I wrote a few things down here. It's so hard to narrow down because I think being with like-minded people is just so powerful. Um, honestly, when I think about what has most impacted me, it's the kiddos that I worked with in the foster care system. Mm. Um, I, I really honestly wrote this book as a reflection of what they've shared with me and just um, their experiences and how alone they felt and sitting with the parents as well. Uh, and so I think those tangible experiences that I've had, you know, holding five-year-old children as they cried in my arms, you know, it just broke my heart and said, you know, the church needs to be in this, like we have to be. Um, so I would say that's probably number one. Um, Karen Purvis was really transformational for me when I was, uh, starting replanted and working in the foster care system. I read her connected child book and I heard her talk at a few different conferences and went to her trainings and, you know, she's got some really great therapeutic things that are helpful for kids with trauma, but honestly, just her heart uh, for seeing a child's preciousness beyond the mess of the trauma and its impact on them. And I think that message goes to the families as well. Like she was so empathic and full of grace and love and really kind of embodied what replanted is about. And so she was so transformational for me. Um, I think to... Um, 
Jason Johnson and Jamie Finn, they're bloggers that I really love and admire for the ways that they honor the authenticity of the journey, but just really ground um, their encouragement in scripture and just uh, the reminders, you know, that this is not about being successful and doing everything. It's about being faithful and loving. And so I I just love that as well. So I, I think just, you know, when you're with people that are like-minded, yep. <laughs> it's just so energizing and it's just so refreshing um, to be like, hey, we're in this together. We're doing this kingdom work together. And that is that's pr- profoundly beautiful to be able to participate in that you know, together. Absolutely. Now that's, that's speaking my love language right there. The, uh, working together, collaboration, teamwork, how we can be better together. And it's something that isn't some cheesy slogan. It's, it's real life and it's, it's biblical. I mean, it's what the Bible talks about. We're built for community. And when we are working in community, it'll be more life-giving. It'll be better. It'll be more effective. And so that's my prayer for all this. I mean, that's why we do the show is to hopefully encourage that for people to really be able to see that. And some people do it more naturally than others. And I talked with Peter Greer about that on, when I talked with him about his book, Rooting for Rivals. I think some people just are, are wired for that. Uh, you know, a little bit more with their personality, but everyone is wired for a community and it might look a little different with different people. But, um, but yeah, like you said, when you get to in the room with a few people who, who are like-minded on it, man, it's, it's exciting and it's very life-giving to that. So, um, with that, what, what one person or, you know, might be a couple people or might be group people has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence. Yeah, I man, I feel like this is almost similar to the first question. So That's it's not okay. really hard for me to differentiate. So I still think the kids um, that I had the privilege of sitting in the counseling room with have really, really shaped my heart for how we love and support families. Um, again, Karen Purvis was just really transformational for me. But the other person that I was thinking about, there's two people that I found to be really um, kind of kindred spirits and have really challenged me um, in this, in this realm. And the first I'd say is Michelle Snyder. So Andrew Snyder's wife, actually, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the founders of Refresh. Um, she is just really has such a beautiful heart for caring for families and kids. And it's just deeply rooted in that's deeply rooted in God's love for us. And so she's been really, uh, you know, inspirational for me. And then the other person I would say is Jamie Cabe. She, uh, is the founder of the Mm -hmm. Forgotten Initiative. Yep. And she's been really influential in my life as well. And just kind of what does it look like to just do more together, uh, to, to roll up our sleeves and get into the messiness of, you know, the daily mundane tasks, you know, of what it looks like to, to support and love families through ministry. And so, um, and, and again, just so deeply rooted in, you know, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so they've been so encouraging to me in my journey as well. And so those, those are some of the people I would say have been most impactful. Well, thanks again, Jen. You know, those the, basically if you, folks, if you don't know those folks, those people that Jen just uh, just referenced and recommended, you have hours and hours and weeks and months of reading that will just blow you away with Jason and Jamie and, you know, the work, the forgotten initiatives done through the forgotten (laughs) podcast and the connected child and Karen Purvis's work. And, you know, so there's just so much good stuff there as well as, uh, the book replanted, which will be coming out again on March 25th, but you can go ahead right now to Amazon and pick it up. Um, what was the website again? The replanted, uh, where you can get all your info? Yeah, replanted. 
Yeah, replantedministry.org forward slash book, sorry. And um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this book. I I love you guys so much. And that was why we wanted to write this book. We wanted it to just be a package where we could say, hey, read this, look at the joys and the hardships, find support. And we wanted this to be a book that was for families and for support systems. So it really reads for everybody. And I hope it's an encouragement um, for everyone you know, one of the things that we say is like with the right support in place, parents can answer this sacred call, not only with open hearts, but with their eyes wide open. And that is really what we're hoping for um, through this book. So I hope you guys enjoy it. We're excited for it to release in March. Yeah. So are we. And thanks again for, for coming on the show. And thanks for bringing yeah. your giftings from Canada here to the U.S. And for, you know, bringing another <laughs> great Canadian to, to hang out in, in, uh, in south of the border. Yeah, I just got my green card approved, oh, actually. So. Congratulations. <laughs> I, I get, you know, congratulations. Some Canadians would say that's a backward step, but, you know, that's okay. Good job. No, that's fantastic. So, so excited. So can't wait to get this out to everybody. And uh, thanks again. Yeah, thanks. Well, thanks again, Jen, for uh, sharing all that God's doing in and through your life with uh, this uh, great book that's going to be coming out soon. I've, as I said, I've had the pleasure of reading it and I look forward for all you out there to be able to have the pleasure of reading it as well. I'd love to hear your feedback on this interview and any other interview you've heard from us um, uh, via the website, uh, thinkorphan.com. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page or send us an email at info at thinkorphan.com. But until then, we get to hear Rick's thoughts on on this uh, this great interview I was able to do to Jen, and we get to talk about it for a little bit. So, Rick, what'd you think? Man, incredible interview. Really, uh, really thankful for just for Jen and her heart and uh, the way that she has, uh, you know, has has framed the issue for foster and adoptive parents around the church. You know, that's uh, you know that's very much um, you know a heart that I share. Um, something we believe in here at Lifeline. And, and so just to see the way that she stepped forward and, and provided resources for families is, is you know, is incredible. And, and I would I would certainly, um, I, like, I can't wait to get um, th- that book in the hands of people and churches that we're, uh, that we're friends and partners with, um, it, you know, stellar. I, I think her, you know, her idea of emotional and tangible and informational support um, is is right on point. Um, you know, one of the things. I mean, I think Focus years ago pointed out to us that uh, th- that the church is the place that people want to go to be supported, and the church is, is the place that people want to go to be informed about adoption and foster care. And uh, and and so, um, you know, for us to think, you know, carefully and deeply and. And, and, and well about how to do that and to see a ministry that's really intentionally about creating those supportive communities and churches uh, is fantastic. Yeah, you know, it, it's something that I, I love just the simplicity of what, how she put it together in, in the idea of a garden. It's, it's such a great picture. And I think it's great for us, any leader in anything that you're doing, whether it's a leader in a home, whether it's a leader in an organization, whether it's, you know, leading people to understand and collaborate this idea of the garden to cultivate. And I I love Matt Chandler once said it in a sermon that he said, you know, the, the male is the head of the household. Isn't like some overlord. No, just to the opposite. It's, it's, it's a, it's a person who cultivates an environment for everyone in that home to flourish to their utmost. 
right? That's kind of a paraphrase of what he said, but it's that same idea here, right? The idea of, you know, to cultivate an environment so you have the soil with the relationships. That's where you're going to have the soil. It's got to be tilled. It's got to be worked on. It's got to be, you know, a good, healthy place for the thing to grow. And then sunlight, you know, without the sunlight, if they had the, the informational resources, right? That's going to yeah. put the sunlight in the water to be able to continually having the tangible resource to be able to come in. And, you know, you can mix and match and say one's the other or whatever. But I think that that is something that was so powerful to me because, you know, I love talking about that in the context of leadership to cultivate that environment where everyone can flourish. Yeah. Right. And so that's what I love about this is everyone being even the people who are not the adoptive and foster parents involved in this, that they will be able to flourish more by being part of this relationship and part of this uh, literally loving the orphan and the vulnerable um, in a way that brings them into, you know, what God has called them to be. But, you know, I I think, but also I would say that, you know, she she talks about, um, you know, grace and and safety and, Mm -hmm. and vulnerability you know, being characteristic of those communities. And I, man, I can tell you from, from personal experience, we, you know, we have, um, we've been a part of, of those sorts of environments within the church. Um, and, and there is a, there is a need for, for foster and adoptive parents to be able to come aside and, and just be with people that get it. Um, Mm -hmm. just for you to be with people that have, a kind of a shared understanding and a common experience in life and that to really get down to particularly those issues of of safety and vulnerability um you know there are there are things that that you will find yourself dealing with um and and sometimes they're um quite frankly ungodly (laughs) sometimes they're they're things that get dug out of your life because of the unique circumstances and the unique pressure of life but but at the same time um you know, I, th- I think we, we we feel like sometimes that, that going into an environment where people don't have that shared experience and they, they really haven't, um, you know, haven't experienced uh, foster care or adoption firsthand, it's not a part of the reality of their lives. And, and you know, I mean, we, we see these opportunities sometimes where, where people are, are quick to judge and people are quick to, you know, to kind of dismiss our our concerns as you know hogwash and um are are really um you know like it's hard to identify and so i think it just the necessity of of creating spaces in the church where um where where families can get aside and can fellowship around the gospel but also can can just really kind of grind with each other on on real and important issues in their family right you know, as I said in the in the interview, like I, I I really hope that part of that grace, safety, and vulnerability also is on the just raw honesty when someone does come in who doesn't get it and says, "Oh yeah, I understand." Right. And it'd be like, you know what, you don't. That's okay. You know, it's okay to not. <laughs> you know, but you can help in the, all these ways too, right? Because you know, and I've been very careful in life. You know, when somebody you know, loses someone in a, in a way that I've never experienced. I don't say, you know what? I understand what you're going through when I don't, you know, and it's in the same way. There's some different things that are going on, but you can still love, you can still care, you can still encourage. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's something that I thought was 
really important for us to remember is, and I love that they, she talks about the helping without hurting in the context of this, because not all helping is helping. Right. Right. So the other thing that cannot go unsaid is the fact that you said hogwash, which, you know, again, <laughs> is something that for the user around the world, that's not something all of us Americans say on a regular basis, but it is something that I'm glad you pulled out because it reminded me of like the Dukes of Hazard and some of the things like that back in the day. So thank, thank you for doing that. Man, I appreciate I, that. I, I'm a Southern you know? Renaissance man. What can I yes, say? Yes, you really are. I heard you my really father are. say that many times, so I'm passing that along to another generation. Yep. And that's better than a lot of the man. things we could say man. on well, the show. you know. So, hey, like, <laughs> I mean, I could. Yes, we could. We could, so, school, anyway, we could school the world. Yes, we could. But we're not going to today on that. So what we are going to do is do you have any other last thoughts before we go to the recommendations? Because I can tell you, though, like Jen gave us a treasure trove of resources, which makes sense, given yeah. the fact that that's what she does. Right. But, uh, you know, do you have anything else Man, I, uh, from I, I the interview? Think, I think that, you know, that that one of the things that, you know, that sh- she talks about is is just overall about helping the church to be a hospitable place for uh, adoptive and, and foster families. And, and you know, and, and I can testify as part of our, you know, part of our personal testimony as a family that we, um, you know, th- as a pastor, there were times where the church was not a real comfortable place for us to be with our family. Um, mm. You know, our, our kids were different and, and didn't fit within the you know kind of the programs and the rhythm of life in the church and uh, and I think you know a lot of times people wanted to help and, and wanted to be part of community with us but they didn't know how um, you know and and so I'm really thankful for someone who champions that um, you know who really talks about that that informational support both for families but also informational support for the church and uh, you know in, in like really how we, we minister to adoptive and foster families. We've invested in that a bunch at Lifeline. Um, you know, we, it's near and dear to our heart. Um, and, and so we think things like our equipped love curriculum, things other people are, have done in, in helping, um, you know, just, just anybody that's a part of the body of Christ know how to respond to kids coming from hard places. Uh, like that's necessary work that we have to do if we're going to be churches that are going to that are really going to step into the space and 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 really you know live out the mandate to you know to care for orphan and vulnerable children. Absolutely, that's something that I think that is uh, critical for us to to be able to do is to understand how we can do that better and continually do it better with most of this stuff, right? I mean, all this stuff, we're continually learning how we can do it better. So to have a teachable posture and in the church, I think sometimes that doesn't happen Um, in a lot of churches where it's just kind of done the way it's done because it's been done that way rather than learning and continuing to learn. I know there's a a really good resources for... um, for church ministry out there, many different people we taught. We had some interviews recently that that have been talking about that. Ryan North is one that comes to yep. mind. I just saw, you know, they have the children's ministry webinar in yep. fact coming up. Um, I believe it's after this is going to air, but check that out. Um, we'll have the the link to that on on the show notes as well. But uh, I'm sure they'll be doing it again if you miss this one. But it's. Uh, just fantastic resources for churches. If you don't know, if you don't really know what we're talking about, as far as that you don't think you need to change anything, then I think it's probably something you probably need to look into a little bit more. Um, Cause you can always be learning. And I think there's some, some really good stuff, um, you know, that, that we can really uh, know how we can do better. You know, I think what, what Jen said was the one thing is be trauma informed. Yeah. 
get trauma informed, right? If that, that alone, right? If there's like one thing, get trauma informed. So you understand that. So, all right, man. Hey, uh, recommendation. You have a recommendation today. I actually have two. Two recommendations. Two recommendations. Here we go, folks. Absolutely. So, you know, a guy that I've gotten to know a little bit over the last uh, last year or so, his name is Chap Bettis, and he's a has been a church planner in the Northeast, um, but is uh, he's just a dad who's really kind of thought deeply about discipleship and and about how how we're discipling our kids, how the home is the center for discipleship. And I, I know, you know, that there are, there are so many of us that have that have stepped into uh, adoption and foster care, and and like our our greatest hope is to to not just provide kids with a with a safe home or with a loving home but ultimately to you know to point them to Jesus. And so a couple of resources that Chap has has created one of them is a book called The Disciple Making Parent. Um, and it's just a really good practical guide to talk about those those everyday kind of Deuteronomy 6 kinds of kinds of actions that we can take um, in the lives of our kids and then He's also done a, a journal, which I highly recommend to parents. It's called the Donut Date Journal. Hmm. And uh, it's pretty simple. It's like 70 questions that, that you can ask and answer with your kids um, to, to spur spiritual conversations with your children. And so if you're a mom or dad and you're out there and you're, you know, you're kind of struggling saying, where do I start in, in investing in my kids and in discipling my kids to, to know and to follow Jesus? This is a great blueprint to just say like once a week, you can go out, grab a donut. It's, it's, it's made for, you know, like 20 or 30 minutes for you to sit and just kind of enjoy each other and get face to face and, uh, and to, to, to spend time having an intentional conversation where you get to know each other a little a little better, um, but but where you're also able to point your your kids to Jesus very naturally um, in in the context of that relationship. I, I mean, I remember a few years ago that uh, there was a, a statistic that we saw um, that that was quoted in a lot of youth ministry circles, and it was that the average um, teenager in America spends about four minutes a day with their dad. Wow, and uh, and so you know what a what a gift to our kids to think about. Man, we're going to spend you know twenty, thirty, forty minutes uh, in in like intentional eye to eye, face to face, deep conversation. And if that's you know something that you know you don't know where to start, well, well, the Donut Day Journal is a great place to start. That's fantastic, man. It just brings me back to some of the donut, actual literal donut dates I had with my kids. I got to bring that back for my younger ones too. You know, it gets harder when the older kids get older and you, you know, I don't want to go anymore, dad, you know, and you know, but it's something that started back in the day when I lived in Atlanta and we had the waffle house dates every Saturday morning with my little ones, you know, and, and then it turned into donuts. And then now I just, I've kind of haven't done it as much. We go get stuff and bring it home, but Got to do that more. Totally reminded me of that. Um, I had one of those face-to-faces with my son uh, earlier this week, and it was, you know, they're special, and they're, they shouldn't be rare, right? Like, we need to do them more often. We need to do them in ways that it's, aren't contrived. It's not like, okay, now here's it should just be natural that we're able to have conversations and have those. Again, talking about grace, safety, vulnerability, if we can't get those with our kids, then we're going to be missing a lot and they're not going to share a lot with us. 
So yeah, and I that's, I, I that's think awesome. man, it's just so important. I think for us to think in terms of the the opportunity that God's placed in front of us to to be able to just have ordinary everyday kind of conversations about um, you know, like we don't have to be talking about current events. We don't have to be you know like <laughs> breaking down the the you know the the Colin Kaepernick situation or whatever that's funny because that's a conversation I had with one of my kids recently but we don't have to be talking about the depth of those kinds of things it's just like our normal everyday life and where Jesus fits into that stuff mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely brother well all right hey folks out there I just uh, thank you for the download thank you for being a part of this conversation um, I know Rick and I it, it just means a lot to us that you're a part of this and you're engaging. Uh, what we're engaging and I just pray that you take all of it and you use it in some way to help you understand how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day thanks a lot have a great week we hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. And for all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.